Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by Senior Pastor Clint Shambler. He is preaching from Leviticus chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. Before we get started here, I'm just going to double test this one more time. If you heard last week, I almost cried when my iPad fell off this. But we're good. Ava and Kevin got us a standing one that is secure. We continue in Leviticus today. And we're going to talk about worship, about sacrifice, about bringing offerings unto God. Uh, Now, it's really wild that we have a a verse, a whole entire passage, that speaks a lot about blood, a lot about sacrifice, a lot about goats. And again, much like in the Leviticus series, we read through this and we say to ourselves, this doesn't have much applicable service to you and I, hi, Nova. Uh, It doesn't have much applicable service to you and I, speaking of goats and sacrifice and and whatnot. I want to encourage you today, it has, has a lot of applicable material for us because it's speaking about worship, speaking about sacrifice. And as the passage was read to us, it says, present a pleasing aroma to God. Now, that's very important for us to understand because I want you to hear something, and I want my heart to hear it as well. The way in which you and I sacrifice to God, the regulations he puts on worship and sacrifice is his gift to us so that we offer something that is pleasing to him. Meaning, and this is, where, this, is where, this is where kind of it conflicts maybe with our heart, our flesh. There are some things that we give to God that are not pleasing to him. That the aroma as it lifts up does not smell of lilacs and lavender, but rather of day-old trash. And we say to ourselves, wait a second, hold on, that, that can't be the case. God accepts anything that I give him. God accepts you and I in our sinful state. That is abundantly true. But today I want to walk through what regulations he gives us so that we can ensure our praise of him is in line with who he is and not what we think of him. That's what I want to do today. And and the reason why it's there, worship and sacrifice, is we're doing something very, very specific when we sacrifice, when we worship God. When we come to church and we sing and we give tithes and we give offerings or we we bring uh, our best to him or in the Leviticus, bring a goat, we bring some sort of animal. We'll get to that in a moment. But what we're doing as we do that is we're actually rehearsing the gospel. Because that's what we do every single Sunday. We come here, we rehearse the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and glory. We rehearse those things over and over and over again. And a public gathering is supposed to remind us, it beckons our hearts back to that rehearsal of God's love for you and I. There's a reason for it. And I want to explain the rationale of every single point. Uh, and I want to give you this kind of example to help you see that. Uh, if you hop in a, a new Lexus, I got dorked out and I went on a podcast about Lexus and how they make cars, okay? So just go down the rabbit hole with me, okay? Uh, but Lexus, if you were to roll up their windows, the automated response to the windows would go up and about an inch to two before it closed all the way, the windows would slow down. And they would go very quietly into the recesses of the rubber on the side, and you would barely hear it. And if you were able to notice it, it's very, very minor. But if you were able to notice it, you're able to understand, you might say, why would you do that? That's very weird. Don't you want the windows to go up as quickly as possible? There's a reason for it. It's supposed to simulate 
a tea ceremony closing of the doors. And if you ever watch the tea ceremony, the doors close, and then the last couple of days, it slows down, and the doors shut silently. Lexus took that and put that into their vehicle. Attention to detail was so obscene, and there's a reason for it. You and I may read about goats and blood and splattering, and we're like, this is really weird, and this is very bizarre. What's happening here? There's a reason for it. I want to show you that reason today. I want to get at that, because you and I have regulations that... at impose upon us ways that you and I are to worship God publicly. Because that's what this is talking It's talking about the public worship. It talks about people bringing animals and, and to the priests. And what you and I need to see is sometimes I, I encourage you with something today. Sometimes you and I focus on our personal piety, our solo times, our own personal holiness, our own personal worship to God. And actually, if you were to read the entirety of scriptures, there's more time God talks about the public corporate worship of his people than he does the private individual worship from his followers. So I want you today to see public corporate worship is fundamental on how we sacrifice and give things to God. Now, how does that happen? What's the reason for public worship and how does it happen? I want to give you three things. I want to talk about who sacrifices for, where sacrifice happens, and lastly, how does sacrifice happen? Talk about who sacrifices for, where does it happen, and how does it happen? First, I want to talk about who sacrifice is for. Now, this is going to be pretty obvious. Let me, let me not bury the lead. <laughs> sacrifice is for God alone. And the reason that he gives regulations, the reason he went to Leviticus and he had the authors write this to his people is, I don't know if you caught it, as the scripture was read, it said, you have this tendency, my people, to sacrifice to goat gods and to give to other idols, they're called. Now, I don't think you have a problem sacrificing to goat gods today. That's probably not something you struggle with. You're not confessing that to me much or to anybody else. But the idea of an idol worship, the idea of God's people going to other gods and sacrificing to them is very, very, very fundamental on who God is. See, what we need to understand, actually, the, like I said, rehearsing the gospel, the reason that God said, go, take animals, sacrifice them, take blood from them, it sounds cruel, it sounds mean, it sounds horrible, and bring it into the tabernacle, the temple later. It's because it's actually rehearsing the way in which Christ will be the one that his blood is spilled for you and I. It's rehearsing. God indicated to his people, please set up animal sacrifice, not as a means because he hates doves and goats. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is this is a way in which you will foreshadow what my son is to come to do for you. And there's regulations over that. And there's public ways in which you and I are to structure ourselves on how to do that. Because here's what is also part of the sacrificial system, part of the, the, the offerings, the worship of God's people. Um, I had a, a buddy in Portland uh, challenge me with something. Uh, I enjoy meat a great deal. Uh, I love meat. Uh, I love the passage of scripture where Peter is told by God, eat and be merry, essentially. It's one of my favorite passages. But I was challenged by a, a friend. She said, uh, have you ever hunted and killed an animal? I said, no, I haven't. And she was a vegetarian. She said, I encourage you, take the life of an animal and then see how it changes you. I was like, oh, 
that's really wild. That's really unique. And, and it changes you. <laughs> it does. It fundamentally changes you. When something is distant and far off and you just get your bucket of chicken that comes to you fried and you're like, oh, this is delicious. This is fantastic. But you don't know the cost that went into that. You take it for granted. But when you have to be the one to butcher a chicken, all of a sudden, you don't look at that fried chicken any, the same any longer. It changes you. There's a visceral reaction to it. Now, why do I say that? Because when, when God says, bring your sacrifices and don't take them outside of the camp, don't take them outside of the city, take their blood in the city, in front of the priests, instead of the, in front of the pastors, what he's doing is he's saying this, I want you, my people, to understand that there is a cost associated with the worship and sacrifice you have. There is a visceral reaction to life being taken. You and I probably don't have a hard time sacrificing to goat gods anymore, but do you know what we do a lot of times in our lives? We sacrifice to the God of work, to the God of career, to the God of financial stability, to the God of academic intellectualism, cultural sensitivity, family, proper obligation, these might be something that you have a hard time sacrificing to instead of to God, in which you're presented with things in life and you would rather give your best, your greatest, to your boss who will not reciprocate it at all. You might have a tendency to give your best, spend all of your money, all of your effort, all of your, your sacrifice, your worship unto things that will not be a good investment back because what God says in Leviticus, if I was to expound this a little bit more, I don't have time to get into all the technicality, but the idols in which people give, the, the, the idols we give to, only take blood. They never give it. They only take. They never give. Why? Because they're not gods. They don't have life unto themselves. They're idols that need to be worshipped and taken. Uh, in the, the novel American Gods, there's this incredible portrayal of these two different types of gods. There's the old gods, Zeus and Thor and, and all that. And then there's the new gods, technology and, 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 and fame and fortune and, and influencing. And what happens to these gods in this novel is that one is promoted above the others. And all of a sudden, the old gods start coming down and the new gods start going. And there's an understanding that as we worship these gods, these idols, they get more power. So if you come to the temple of Aphrodite of, or, or Thor or Zeus... Those gods have more influence. They have more followers. They're better, and they live. And the gods that don't dwindle down and down and down and down because they take constantly. They never give. Do you know what I've never heard somebody regret at the end of their life ever? I've never heard one person say, yeah, you know that one time that I chose my family and spending time with my loved ones Spending time with my brothers and sisters, my community, my neighbors, my, my husband, my wife. Instead of getting that promotion, oh, I regret, I regret doing that. That was the worst decision. I should have foregone all of that community, and I should have taken that promotion. I've never heard that one time. Do you not hear all the time? I wish I would have spent more time with my loved ones. I wish I would have spent more time with community. See, the way in which... God says, do not sacrifice life outside, only sacrifice it here, is because he must be saying there's something very, very visceral and very, very important about giving your best 
This is what sacrifices were. Giving your life, taking blood and giving it to anybody else besides me. Because if you do, you won't get anything in return. If you do, that's, the, that's your reward. That's the end of worship for you. See, when God says, make sure to bring it to the people, make sure to bring it publicly, make sure to bring it in front of everyone, he is saying, you and I have the tendency to worship false gods, and we don't even know it. We have no clue the false gods we worship. And they might be good. They might be great. They might actually seem honorable. I had this friend, uh, as we were planting a church, come to the elders of the church. He was looking to get a promotion to go across the state and get another gig as a lawyer. And he came to us and he said, here, let me lay out everything for you. Here's my job. Uh, Here's what I'm going to go do. Here's the promotion given to me. I'm thinking about doing it. And we said, great, we'll pray for you. And he said, no, 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 you, you, you misunderstand. I want you to tell me if I'm doing this for the right motivations. I want you to tell me if I should take this job or not. And all the elders were like, whoa. <laughs> and what he was saying was this. Him and his wife were coming and they were saying, we think this is good. We think this is honorable. We're discerning this is good and proper. But you know what? Maybe we're dead wrong. And maybe I want this job because it doubles my pay. Maybe I want this job because it gives me a title. I don't think that's the reason. But could you discern with me? Now see what he did and what I think what we need to understand is that you and I will sacrifice our best to things that are not God. They are idols in our lives. And we need others to make sure that we're not giving our best life to things that will never give us life back. That's the first point. Worship is to whom? It's to God alone. Because you don't want the blood on your hands that goes to an idol God. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine your sister, who is the most beloved person in your life, being a a, a donor? She gets in a, a horrible car accident, and unfortunately she passes, and she has to give her heart to something, to someone And instead of going through the proper channels, instead of going to the, there's a transplant board. I don't know if you understand this. A lot of you medical students understand this. You're like, yes, of course there's a a transplant board. Why wouldn't there be? Well, it's kind of weird if you, I mean, I'm not going to get into technicalities, but it's weird, right? Somebody's body is then going to a board and the board decides who's going to get it. It's very bizarre. There's a waiting list and there's a whole process. But if you say to yourself, oh, that seems silly. I know who should get my sister, my most beloved person in the entire world, I know who should get her heart. And you meet somebody and they're like, oh, yes, 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 this person I met, they're a family person. They're a national leader. They're a political force. They love their children. They love their, their spouse. I'm going to give it to them. You don't do your research. You don't understand it. You don't go through the process. You don't have the board to hone you in. And all of a sudden, you're giving your heart to Attila the Hun. And you're letting him go across and and do horrible atrocities all around the world. See, how awful would that feel if you took the prized possession of the one you love and you gave that life to somebody who's not going to give but to take? Could you imagine? The church, what God is saying is come into the public square, come into corporate worship because we will give our hearts to things that will never give us our best back. Worship is to God so that the blood is not on our hands, but on his hands. That is key. 
The second thing we need to understand about worship is, yes, it goes to God. That seems, that seems very, very easy for us. It seems without a shadow of a doubt. But the second thing we need to understand is where does sacrifice happen? Sacrifice is in the church. Sacrifice is in the church. Like I said in the introduction to this, if you go throughout the entirety of Scripture and you look for personal piety, personal worship, and corporate worship, there is far more understanding and far more connection to the corporate aspect of worship. Now, again, this, this hits against our sensibilities as a lot of us, I'm going to assume a lot of us are Westerners. Uh, there might be some who have uh, Eastern tradition in our blood or in our tradition, but a lot of us have Western thought. Uh, the things that America does great is we export the English language, Starbucks, and late modernity. These are like the three things we, we give to the world, I think. If we have that understanding, when we say, yes, public worship, coming back, sacrifice is with the church, we go, no, 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 no. I, I sacrifice my way. I sacrifice my understanding. See, if you read Leviticus again, it says, Take, don't, don't sacrifice outside of the camp, outside of the people. Don't give blood outside. Secondly, when you bring your sacrifice, bring it in front of the tabernacle. Now, really quick, the tabernacle is just another fancy t- term for tent. It's a tent, okay? Don't read much into that. The Israelite people had a tent set up as a structure to be set apart from the rest of their lives as a place in which worship and sacrifice was made. It was holy ground. Think, think Moses coming upon the burning bush, saying this is holy ground. This is, this is now sacred. That's what the tabernacle was. Now, you and I no longer have a tabernacle that we need to worship at. There's no tent anywhere in which we come to and give sacrifices, And there's a reason for that. Jesus, as he was in his public ministry, came and said, I am the tabernacle. You are the tabernacle. You now have the dwelling of the Spirit, and I have the dwelling of the Spirit. No longer do we have to travel to a tabernacle, but the tabernacle is in his community. It's with us all. Now, this is a blessing and a curse. Let me tell you why it's a blessing. Actually, the Reformation started because a whole lot of very fancy people thought it was their right to tell non-fancy people what to think of the scriptures. And it flies in the face of a lot of understanding of the scriptures. The scripture says, no, 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 no. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the ability to commune with God. No longer is there some sort of blockade. God has broken that blockade. He's broken that divide. He comes to you. And we say, yes, amen. That's the blessing. There's a curse. (laughs) Uh, You and I have access to God on our own. That's a curse. Why is it a curse? Because you and I could start thinking all sorts of squirrely stuff, can't we? You and I could get into this understanding and have this privilege and have this power. It's like 16-year-olds who think they're supermen and women and can't die. No one should drive when they're 16. I don't care. No one. We just will not stop at anything because we think we're indestructible. Our brains aren't formed till we're 25 for crying out loud. Like, what are we doing Let's give them a 2,000-pound missile. Sure, this sounds lovely. See, the, the blessing is that God said, I want my people to commune directly with me. Yes and amen. Problem. I'm a sinful creature that now has the power of the Holy Spirit in me. I have that power. You have that power. I have the ability. You have the ability. That should terrify us. When I was in college, I... Uh, Gosh, there's, there were so many 
erroneous theological points that I discussed when I was in college. I'll give you one. Um, I, I was speaking in a theology class with a couple of uh, my peers, and I was talking about um, how God can't know the future. Uh, open theism, I'll dork out on it later if you want me to, but just if God knows the future, he can't choose to do otherwise. Therefore, I am rigid in my choosing. I don't have free will. I don't have volition because God is going to make whatever is come to pass in his thought come to pass. And so I thought, oh, that's impossible. God would never do that. And I said these words in front of my peers. I said, that's not the God that I worship. And then I had a professor overhear that. And he gently stepped in and he just said, hey, I can't, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. He said, Clint, that's good for you if you worship that God, just so you know, you don't worship the God of the Bible. And I said, oh no. See, the problem that you and I have is that you and I have the ability to start thinking all sorts of thoughts and commune with the holy God, and that is a blessing and a curse because you and I, left to our own, will inevitably do wrong. This is why community is so important to God and his sacrificial worship. That's why if somebody says, Jesus and I are fine, I don't need the church, you don't understand why he died for the church then. If you think you can worship God and not worship with his church, what you are doing is you're divorcing the bride of Christ from his lover. You are taking Jesus and you are putting him outside of the bounds of the thing to which he came to die for, which is his people gathered together in community with one another. It's a nice sentiment, and, and I don't have time to get in the philosophical argument of if you were the only person on planet Earth, would Jesus come die for you? Because he didn't. So that's how I get out of that conversation. <laughs> so I don't know. He didn't. <laughs> Jesus died for his people. Plural. Community is so important. That's why worship and sacrifice happens within a church. And you say, okay, pastor, I I'm with you. But the church is a broken system. It's an institution that is no longer, we've, we've ascended above the church. We don't need the church in all of its, its rigmarole and all of its fanciness, all of its structure, all of its rigidity. Jesus and I are fine. And maybe you say that because maybe you've seen the church do horrible things to you or loved ones. Maybe you've seen the church do horrible things to your family, to your friends. And can I quickly just say, you're right, the church has. You're absolutely right. Which is why Jesus came to die for it. <laughs> Which is why Jesus came and didn't say, this is perfect, I don't need to do anything with it, just keep it going. He said, you are broken and you are sinful and I come to you. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that God comes to the prophet and says, I need you to go preach to my people. They're sinful. They're whoring themselves out. They're, they're stealing from my people. They're abusing my people. And the prophet says, okay, I'd go talk to him. And then God says, but just so you know, they'll never listen to you. And they'll never repent. And they'll never come back. Do you know what the prophet said at that point? He said, oh, good. Oh, whew. okay, great. We can just get rid of your people and Israel and your institutions and the tabernacle and this whole killing of goats thing. Great. Let's start over. The prophet said, I'll go. Because worship is to God. And his church is worth dying for. So church, can I just encourage you? The church is worth dying for. The church is worth giving sacrifice and worship to in all of her faults and all of her glory. Don't give up on the church. 
church needs you, and you need the church. Why? Because Christ is in the church. He's in his community. He says, bring the sacrifices in, put them in front of the tabernacle, in front of all the people. That's the first thing I want to say of where. The second thing, and this is, I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to challenge you more with this. Not only does it say, bring it to the tabernacle, the tent with all the people, but it also says, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. It says, bring it to the priests. Now, what are priests? I'm going to simplify this as best I can. And this is going to be kind of a little wobbly, but it'll suffice. Priests are pastors. Pastors are instituted in a church to be those that structure and receive the gifts that you have. Now, why is that really, really, really important? Why is that crucial? Here's why it's crucial to have proper structure. Not only the laity, which is members, people of the church, but also proper leadership. Why is that important? You might be saying to yourself, oh, elders and pastors, you guys aren't, aren't professional Christians. Amen. True. Praise God. Right now, we're going through elder training. We just met uh, yesterday, and there's uh, four people being considered for eldership. I got encouraged and invited into that group of other three uh, men that were, were encouraged and, and nominated by the church. Uh, and this is what I always love about this conversation about elders and pastors. Uh, and so I'll ask you, do you know who's credentialed? Do you know who is worthy of being an elder of a church? It's a very easy answer. It's two words. No one. There is not a single person that is credentialed or worthy of being an elder of the church. Do you know that? I think a lot of times we say to ourselves, and this is, this is going to be public confession time with the elders. Paul uses this in the New Testament, and Jesus, through his word, is using it now in Leviticus by asking his people to come to priests, to pastors, to give their sacrifice. Paul will later say in the New Testament, as people are boasting about how Christian they are, they would beat their chest and say, oh, I'm, I'm so holy, I'm so righteous. And Paul would say, really? Do you want to play that game? Okay, let's play. And he calls himself, I am a Jew amongst Jews. I'm the most religious person there is. Circumcised on the right day, raised in the right family, have the right last name, went to the right education system. I am more religious than you. If you want to play that game, let's play. I win. So here, let me have a little Pauline moment for a moment. Uh, do you know... I, I have, I'm going to get three degrees in Christian education. I've been pastoring and planting a church 15 years. I could go on and on and on. And you know what God would say to all of that? Yeah, that doesn't impress me. Yeah, that kind of means nothing to me. It means something to him. I'm not trying to discourage you from furthering your education. It means something to him. But it doesn't mean the same on the grounds of who is worthy of being an elder a pastor, a priest. No one is. Do you know why God does this? Why God asks all of you, and this is the most humbling thing in the world. He asks you to follow a faulty, broken, sinful person in me. Because you know what that does? Oh, church, you know what that does? It prepares us to be like Christ more. What do I mean? Christ availed himself, submitted himself to his church and his people who were faulty, broken, and sinful. 
and he was without sin. He was perfect. He should have been the pastor amongst pastors. He should have been head of the table. And where did he seat himself? At the end of the table. Do you see? When you and I are asked to follow faulty people, and by the way, these three other men that you nominated are fantastic people. Don't get me wrong on this, okay? But no one's worthy because God is saying in his institution of a calling, it's not merit-based that gets you into leadership in my church. Because if it was merit-based, my son wouldn't have had to die. He would have been king as all the apostles wanted if you know your bible well the apostles kept on asking him hey jesus when are you going to implement the kingdom hey jesus when are you going to get on your throne hey jesus when are you going to take down evil rome and what do you say my kingdom's not like that you want it to be by power you want it to be by merit and then there's these two foolish apostles who keep on jostling for position over and over, time and time and time again. Who's going to be who's going to be seated at your right hand? Who's your vice regent as president? And Jesus goes, oh, oh, you foolish people. It's not merit. It's not goodness. Why? So that you and I could grow accustomed to falling broken and faulty and sinful people just like Jesus did. Having you submit to a pastor and elders who are faulty prepares you to be more like Christ. And that's his beauty in how he asks his people to come to the tabernacle, to come to the tent, to follow priests. Because if you want a history lesson on wicked people, oh, church, oh, church, go read what happens in the line of the priests of God's people. They're wicked. More wicked than you can imagine. Sincerely. They use and abuse God's church and his people and the platform to get what they want. And he serves justice to them. But what he asks God's people to do is to say, follow them. Because it's not their goodness you're seeking, it's mine. And I submitted myself to faulty people. I sub submitted myself to Judas. Do you think that Jesus understood who was going to betray him at the Last Supper? Did he skip over Judas's fish? feet when he was washing them? No. If it was based on merit, Jesus would have taken Judas by the scruff of his neck and thrown him out. And he says, I'll serve you. You're going to give me into the hands of Rome. I'll serve you. Tough, right? Hard, right? Ah, then let's get to the third point. Not only is it to happen in the church, even with all her blemishes, even with all her faults, even with all her, her sinful desires, the church is worth dying for because Christ died for her. But the last point is this, how are sacrifices received? I just got done talking about priests, pastors, faulty uh, leaders that the church is supposed to follow. But then it adds something very, very unique at the end of that phrase. It says, follow the priests as unto God. So really quick, what that means is this. When you follow the priests, you are following God. When you bring your sacrifices to them, you are bringing them to God. This is ambassadors. This is representation. Priests in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, pastors, elders, are those who are mediators between a good God and a broken world. There's mediators. They're ambassadors. Uh, now, here's what we typically think of ambassadors as spokespeople. 
if you haven't seen this movie, you need to go see it. It's so wickedly wild and funny. Nicolas Cage, I don't even know the name of the movie. Um, the, 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 the great weight of glory or something like that. I, I, talent, great weight of talent. Is that what it is, Adam? You're shaking your head. It's, it's in there somewhere. There's, throw those words together and come out with a title. Nicolas Cage is this movie actor who gets invited into this multimillionaire's estate. And this multimillionaire loves Nicolas Cage and he wants to show him. And so what happens is a boat gets sent to pick Nicolas Cage up. He gets on the boat and he believes he's speaking to the secretary. He believes he's speaking to the administrative assistant of this multimillionaire. And so he starts being really weird. He starts being very bizarre. I said Nicolas Cage, right? So he starts being very bizarre, very weird. And even at one point he goes, okay, this guy that I'm supposed to meet, what does he look like? How is he like? Is he weird? Is he crazy? Is he one of those psychopaths? And then the guy driving the boat says, I am him. And Nicholas Cage goes, oh, never mind. And he bows in front of him. See, I think you and I misunderstand that a lot of times we think the church is set up as secretaries or, 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 or kind of administrative people. And you know what, to be honest, pastors and elders have kind of set themselves up in that way. Again, I said rehearsing the gospel, and this is very key to understand. We're rehearsing the gospel and sacrifice in worship and praise to God. Because actually, when we come before his structured leadership, what we're doing is we're becoming before God. And leaders, every single time I get up, on, on, up here to preach a sermon, do you know what scripture is running through my head? Many of you would say, oh, yes, it's the, it's the one where it says, oh, yeah, God's word never comes back unfruitful. Nope, that's not it. Uh, a, a, a teaching elder is worth double merit. Nope, that's not it. It's the passage of scripture where Jesus looks at a whole group of his teachers and he says to them, hey, you see those people over there? If you teach them anything incorrectly about me, it's better that you tie a millstone around your neck and jump off a cliff than face me. And you say, wow, that's kind of dark. It is. Do you know why I think about that every single time before I get up on stage? Every single time it's ringing in my head. Do you know why? Because I'm an ambassador for Christ right now. I have the seal and the mark of Jesus Christ who died for all the world's sin and who gave up his throne on high to come down to you and I. Oh, that's a heavy task. See, I think sometimes we're too flippant. Sometimes we're too serious. I agree. But sometimes we're too flippant. The church is comprised of mediators that mediate on behalf. And we say to ourselves, wait, hold on. You just said in point two that we have direct connection to God. We do. And yet, we're rehearsing the gospel. So we need mediators. Why? Because you and I have a great mediator in Christ. The book of Hebrews talks a great deal about Jesus Christ as the greatest mediator. And it goes through this. It's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. If you read through Hebrews, it comes to this point where it says, here's all the people that are like Hall of Fame religious people. And then at the end, the author of Hebrews says, and they all are nothing compared to Christ. You raise them up to be these heroes. And Christ says, they're nothing compared to me. They're less than nothing compared to me. I am the great mediator. And the way in which I want to show you this, the way in which I want to try to get this into your mind, that you and I need somebody that we will never be like to do the things that we could never do. That's why he's a mediator. 
He came to live the life that you and I should have lived, but never did and never would. He stepped in to substitute for us because we couldn't have done anything for our sin, but he did. And I'm going to go Lord of the Rings for this. If you don't like Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry ahead of time because they're just going to come flowing out of my mouth as much as possible. There's this incredible scene in which the armies are going to face each other. And there's one particular character who hides within the armies against the, the ring's forces. And Lord of the Rings is this epic battle of good and evil. Those who have the ring, Sauron and his forces, as well as the forces of good with, with the eventual true, uh, true king, not Sauron who places himself as king. And there's this rule uh, that only men go fight. And so this woman says, no, 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 no. I'm going to fight for my people. Her name's Eowyn. And so she masks herself as a warrior. She gets on a horse and she hides herself. And she goes fighting into battle. And as she goes into battle, she faces this thing called a ring wraith. And this ring wraith has a rule about them. They can't be killed by any man. No man can touch it. And so they just are these giant tall creatures that have this incredible power. They just slaughter all. And you see them and they're on dragons. And you're like, oh my gosh, we're doomed. We're doomed. We're over. And this ring wraith lands down into this valley and is starting to slaughter all the armies. And Eowyn, oh, Eowyn gets up. It's so awesome. Eowyn gets up in front of this beast. And this, this ring wraith gets off and she's diminutive. She's small. And, and he starts saying, oh you, oh, you poor little thing. Don't you know I can't be killed by any man? And in one of the best moments of the book, she rips off her helmet and she says, I am no man. And boom! <laughs> Stabs him in the faith and he dies. He's like, yes! And, she's, and, he's, and he's done. He's doomed. She did something that no one in the army could have done to defeat death. She mediated on behalf of the whole entire army. You and I have a mediator in Christ that we could not have killed death, but he could. Do you see? Do you see the point of mediators is to be someone that you can't be so that you could be it one day? Or another way of saying it is when you read the scripture that talks about the apostolic teaching of the, of the church, here's what discipleship is. Let me try to simplify it down. Follow those who followed somebody, who followed somebody, who followed somebody, who followed somebody, who followed Christ. That's what discipleship is. Follow me as I follow Christ, not follow me. Do you see the difference? It's so crucial, church. Because you and I need mediators. We need examples. We need people to help us, but we need the right mediators, don't we? We need the people that could never, we need Christ, the greatest mediator, who dealt death the worst defeat ever when you and I could not. Don't you want a priest like that? Don't you want a pastor like that? Don't you want a friend like that who does for you something you could never do yourself? To live the life that you were supposed to live that can't and died the death you should have died but now don't have to? Don't you want a friend like that? You do. You have the best priest. You have the best pastor. His name is Jesus. And you also get lesser versions to try to follow in order to rehearse the gospel. So you come to church, not for your own edification, but for the glory of God. 
do not consume the church. Because you know what that is? That's an idol. An idol consumes. God gives, and we're supposed to be like him. So what are we supposed to do? Give. We give to God when we come to praise with his people. We do so in a public setting to form ourselves according to his standards because he's the greatest mediator that stood in the place that you and I can't. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.